we are honored to have a speaker with us tonight. And you know, we are honored. Yeah, we got a speaker here. You know, I couldn't think of a dang thing to say about him, but uh, you know. <laughs> so our speaker tonight is Richard, and he's uh, volunteered to come tell his uh, experience, strength, and hope with us. And I met Richard when he first moved to Arizona, and. Uh, I've watched him grow in the program. I always liked the fact he had a big book that was different than mine. <laughs> For every single page, he had a blank page beside it. Oh, and he uses those pages. He makes notes and comments, and I think it's all part of his program that he remembers what he hears, and he shares it with others. And not only does he share with others, one thing I like about Richard and what we've done together is we've shared our journey as we've recovered in Alcoholics Anonymous, which includes the crazy shit we do outside of these rooms and the things we get to do within the rooms. Now, I promised Richard he could speak as long as he wanted, like an hour and 15 minutes or so, and we'd be out of here by 8.30, but I've been trying to consume as much time as possible to get them started here, so he'll cut it short, and I'm sure we'll be done by 8 o'clock. So let's all welcome Richard. Thanks for that. Uh, my name's Richard. I'm an alcoholic. Hello, Richard. Yeah, thanks for that intro, uh, Paul. Talking about that book, um, that book is, I was once told in a meeting that, you know, it was called out that I was writing my own big book when I had that book. <laughs> um, yeah, so made my own notes, all that stuff. Not trying to write the program. It, it's a good program the way it's designed and, um, you know, uh, in terms of how I'm going to start, I want to start with the you know question or joke, if you will. How do you get a bunch of alcoholics to drive to you know the middle of the desert? <laughs> Have a potluck. <laughs> That's what got me to come out here, and it's it's been having me come ever since then. I love this meeting. I love this group. Um, you know, it's a lot easier, um, I think to talk to you all because I think I know all your faces, um, which is a good thing. And, you know, that's the beauty of the program is that I get to, you know, continue relationships. You know, in the past, you know, it was like acquaintances and something would happen and you wouldn't, they're not long lasting. And from what I found thus far in the program, these relationships are long lasting, they're fruitful, you know, and, you know, we help one another. And, you know, that's something I didn't have prior to this, um, outside of a, a small handful of people. Um, I didn't eat that much tonight. Um, I didn't want to be in a food coma as I've been. And I got to say, the spreads here are amazing. Uh, by far the best potlucks I've been to. Um, I was thinking to myself, I didn't know if you'd like me more, my share, or m the veggie tray I always bring. So. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask for that later after um, this conversation, <laughs> after my share. Um, you know, so I, I've been to meetings across the United States, and one way, I was in Wisconsin year three or so, and each chairperson started their um, lead with, not chairperson, but each speaker with, by the grace of God, this program, the fellowships, and actions taken in this program, I'm sober today, um, and I haven't had a need to drink. And thank God for me 
I can say that today, and it's been since July 9th of 2018 that I haven't had um, a drink of alcohol or use of any substance. I, I have a sponsor, and you know, outside of the sponsor, I have a circle of friends, and you know, I can't. Words can't express how grateful I am to have you know a circle of friends that I can rely on and bounce things off of. I feel elation when I hang out and be able to, you know, um, you know, interact with this group. Um, small, mighty, but I gotta say, it's it's powerful. Um, you know that that feeling of loneliness is is gone away with with the you know the program that I have. And it continues to grow, the beauty of it. Um, uh, we'll start off with uh, me validating, you know, that uh, I should be here. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, I don't want to go too much into the, the drunk log, but I'll, I'll just start off with, you know, I, I had a pretty good childhood. I uh, grew up in Southern California, um, you know, uh, had things. Um, you know, got to do a lot of stuff. Um, some people I've heard, you know, was I predisposed? Um, maybe. Um, I never got to meet my real father and come to find out uh, he was a heroin addict. So um, thank God I didn't. Um, you know, I found out from my mother. And, you know, so she um, met somebody and that's who I call my father today. I get treated as if any different than any of my other siblings. So for that, I'm truly grateful, um, you know, to have that in, in my life. Um, like I said, uh, great childhood. We had everything we needed, um, probably not everything we wanted. Growing up in Southern California, everybody was like, you know, look what I have, you know, it was all like, you know, comparing toys and things like that. So that was the case. So had everything we needed. Um, you know, early on, um, you know, the influences I had, you know, going to the, was I predisposed? Um, there was a lot of drinking uh, around me. All the, ma the male influences in my life uh, were heavy drinkers. So my stepfather, my father, I'm going to call him my father because I've never called him my stepfather, um, drank, but he was a worker bee. He worked, he never missed a day. I think he worked 42 years or, or even more without, you know, missing a day of work. So he was a functioning alcoholic, so to speak. Um, there'd be times when we woke up to go to school and I'd have to pick him up off the floor and help him, um, you know, go to bed. Um, you know, my uncle, uh, who I see as a father figure, also heavy drinker, um, you know, and you know, I remember as a kid, like they would throw up and, you know, I'm like eight years old and my mom would be like, hey, you need to clean up their throw up. You love them, right? I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And so I did, it didn't appeal to me the way they act because they were embarrassing. Like I remember going to Ensenada as a kid with them and, you know, they were so drunk. They were going into the kitchen trying to use a restroom and things like that. And just doing stupid stuff, you know? And these are the male figures in my life. So I'm thinking, what am I supposed to be when I grow up? Uh, you know, get a job and then drink and, and do all this? Um, question mark. 
Um, so th there was a lot of that embarrassing things and um, you know I saw a lot of that. I, I remember one case where my uncle ran over my my aunt's leg so he was so drunk um, he went backwards and so to forward and crushed her leg and stuff and just stupid stuff. Um, so I witnessed all this and a lot of a lot of drinking around me, um, you know, and a lot of in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of programs to get people out um, to keep people from. There was a war on drugs, right? Sane, Dare. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but um, you know, they educated us in school that drugs were bad and, and alcohol was bad and. You know, they would have um, mothers against drunk drivers and things like that. So, you know, those are some things that, you know, were out there, you know. So I saw it. I, I knew it was bad in some case um, as a kid. Um, and I remember, you know, learning about that. And um, I remember one time my mom's like, I'm so proud of you that you don't drink and, and use and stuff like that. And I was in the seventh grade. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, like, okay, um, but you know, I had a, like I said, I was had a good childhood. I was in um, gifted education and in higher classes, and played a lot of sports. I wasn't the the smartest kid, and I wasn't the best athlete. But together, um, you know, I was a force to be reckoned with. Um, you know. Uh, more influences or things that within my family that I saw that kind of led, you know, where these red flags are indicators that I shouldn't drink. Um, you know, uh, I was talking about how my uncles were doing stupid things. My dad would drink a lot. Um, you know, I, one other uncle, he was so drunk. They were, um, um, they were driving after a party and he had his father and, family members in the back of a truck outside of Mexico over here and he was just driving so fast and he flipped it and ended up killing his father and um, you know um, a cousin and everything as a result of drugs and alcohol but um, you know all these examples to me that drugs are bad right and alcohol is bad but um, somehow uh, on one of my vacations here See, I grew up in Southern California, but I would come visit family here in Arizona and then go to Mexico. We had family there on the, the border town of Rocky Point, uh, between here and Rocky Point. So I'd get to go spend a couple weeks in the summer there. So I learned how to drive. I learned how to drink. I learned all the most important things, you know, um, you know down there. And that was the first time I drank. Um, I was with some aunts and... Um, had a fun time drinking, danced, you know, got wet with a hose, you know, we're, t you know, ha, 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 and then, you know, we drank um, milk to, to not get a hangover. I ended up getting a hangover, um, you know, and then my uncle called me the next day. He found out I got drunk, and he's like, you shouldn't do that. That's bad. <laughs> it's like, uh, wait, fingers, uh, okay. So uh, once I, I started drinking, I, I kind of... I like the effects of it, you know. Um, I, I think I was always a, a thinker. You know, I'm always 
um, you know, got that squirrel cage going. But when I drank, that squirrel cage kind of slowed down. And I wasn't thinking about what you were thinking about me or anything else. I just was having a good time. I felt great. You know, I could speak what I wanted to say without any, um, you know, um, second thoughts. Um, really liked that feeling. And that was at the age of 13. But I didn't turn into a full-fledged drinker by that time. Um, in high school, towards the end of high school is when I, I started to um, drink a little more, started to go to parties and things like that. I think high school for me was where we, I was in a smaller school and it went big to a big school, so I was no longer anybody. I had to find where I fit, and I found where I fit was with the delinquent folks, and um, you know they like to drink and and party and things, so that that feeling, you know, that I had, um, that good feeling of drinking came back when I started to go to parties. And so what I found is, um, if you make friends with DJs and ha you get a keg and a pump, you can go to all the parties. So I did that and um, there wasn't a party that could start without me because I was responsible for the keg. And um, so that was really cool. Uh, so I went to all the parties in high school. Um, oh, by the way, my my dad. We also had a kegerator, um, so that was that was nice. So we we can always drink at my house. Um, and you know, um, I like that kind of life. I mean, um, and I think I liked it more than other people because. Um, I wanted it to keep going. You know, I could drink all night and I found that, you know, um, yeah, there was no stop for me and I would do, I would think about it a lot and I would do things so that I can continue to drink, like I get a keg, do this. Um, you know, I experimented with, you know, other things like marijuana and things like that. So I liked that and, you know, I found out, you know, you can get more you can continue to have it if you sell it. And so I wasn't a really good salesman. I mean, I had enough, but everybody smoked with me and we had a good time. So, but alcohol was there all the time. So keg, drinking, all that fun stuff. Um, that was fine um, in high school. I, I was, like I said earlier, um, I uh, was pretty good in school. So I was able to pass high school, no problem. And the early stages of college, um, but at a certain point when everybody else was going to college and, you know, advancing to their four years and getting jobs, I, I wanted to continue to party and, um, continuing to go to school and working was not conducive to my lifestyle. Um, so, um, the easier, softer way was just to quit all that and just to, you know, focus on my, you know, what made me feel good. Um. I started to get into, tr my first time getting into trouble. Um, and what I want to say is, you know, these examples are, you, you'll hear throughout this, you know, several people knew that I had a problem. And, you know, I was beyond human aid at, from early on. Nobody can tell me anything because, you know, we had all these examples in school. I had all these things from my family that, you know, the effects of drugs and alcohol. 
um, but I still did it. Um, I remember the first time um, somebody offered me marijuana, they said, you shouldn't give Richard any because he's a good kid. And that pissed me off because then I was like, <laughs> I want some, to, you know. Um, but there are so many influences in my life and opportunities for me to get away and get on the straight and narrow, but I, I didn't do it. So the first time I got in trouble, it was a slap on the hand. I went to the morgue, you know, had a, it was the LA morgue where they're just, um, you know, cutting people open and you're, it's a scared straight program to, you know, um, to get you to stop. And, um, at the end, they go, why, why were you here? Many of them were drunk drivers. A lot of them were excessive speeders. And I was in there for, I got caught for some marijuana. And they would say, like, you know, Tom, they would say, uh, you know, I'm in here for a DUI. Well, you see what happens? You're going to end up here in the morgue. You know, you're going to crash and you're going to kill somebody. And, um, you know, when I said I'm here for marijuana, they're like, well, nobody's ever overdose from marijuana. So I was like, haha, I can continue using. So your program didn't work on me. Um, just stupid stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, the judges, they gave me a slap on the hand. They gave me an opportunity. Um, you know, I had to go to AA meetings. I went to like 10 of them. Um, I was probably drunk when I went to them. So um, I remember going to one um, I was filling up my gas tank and I forgot to take out the hose and I actually pulled out the hose with me. Uh, really dumb stuff that I did. Um, so I got really bad into other substances um, to where, you know, I was doing very bad things like stealing from my family and lying and, and doing all this other stuff. So, um, you know, they, my family uh, tried to get me into a forced rehab, um, which is a pretty, I don't know, uh, eventful experience. They, uh, they, uh, they basically said, you know, here's some money, drive down to Mexico. And uh, so what happened, what they were going to have is some people to take me into a rehab against my will. Um, so I went down there. So they, so take a step back. They're like, you know, here's some money. Go down there. It, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. They're like, go to this place, make a phone call. I I used that money and bought alcohol and drugs, and and it it took me a while to get down to Mexico. Um, but by the time I got there, it was like two in the morning, and I go to this this um, to make the phone call. And there was a suburban full of guys. I was like, oh, shit, what are you guys doing here at 2 in the morning? Yeah. And uh, they're like, they tried to grab me. And so I'm fighting them off. I guess I had superhuman strength when you're drunk and high because they couldn't get me. But then they finally did get me in the back of a suburban. And uh, the real co or cops, they said they were cops. They, they weren't cops because they didn't look like cops. Um, and, you know, I, I caused such a commotion that the real cops came and basically put us all in jail that night. <laughs> and, and basically, um, they let me go, but I had to sign this statement and get it notarized and show up to a court so I wouldn't like sue Mexico, I guess. Um, but basically, they were, um, they were put in jail for trying to kidnap me. Um, 
So I had a huge resentment against my family for trying to do that. And now if I look, I think about it, they're just trying to help me, you know? Um, that's the extent, that's how bad I got and how, how, um, how much they love me. And, you know, for those in, that have Al-Anon, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing what I have put my family through. And, you know, now something I can help somebody else out with. But I did have a huge resentment against my parents for that early on. Um, so I moved out to Arizona. I thought I'd clean out my act, clean up my act. And come to find out, there's alcohol and drugs here too. Um, so, you know, things got worse and worse because I didn't have anybody to, uh, you know, take advantage of, you know, like borrow money from my parents and things like that. And I wasn't really good at uh, keeping a job, um, you know, because you had to show up every day. Um, and my car wasn't really working very well. I pushed it many times and ran out of gas. Um, many times, a couple times the cops helped me push it while I was, <laughs> I was under, I was drunk and I don't know how they did not lock me up, but yeah, um, just crazy stuff. I did, I ended up getting in trouble here for, you know, stupid things and, um, you know, oh, before that, um, my uncle was out here and, um, you know, going back to people trying to help me, um, tell me that I had a problem. I remember one time I got so sick, I went to the emergency room and he's like, hey, you should tell them that you're an alcoholic and, it, you know, and maybe they'll help you. And I'm like, I'm not going to admit to somebody at the ER that I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, what? but, you know, nobody knew how to help me. Um, it, you know, again, trying to help. Um, but that, that didn't work. Um, um, so I got in trouble out here and got put on this program where you had to go to intensive outpatient treatment, um, community service, um, drug testing like three times a, a week. I swear they didn't know me by the, my face. They knew me by my private. It's like, because they're, they're looking at you while you're, um, you know, peeing, you know, it's like, Oh, hey, it's, what's up, guy? Because <laughs> you, you're there like three times a week, man. Um, but I tell you what, I, I was behind human aid because I couldn't stay sober. Um, come, come Thursday, I would continue to drink, you know, and try to clean myself out over the weekend. You could imagine all the things I tried to do. I tried to drink bleach, um, sauna, sweat room. You name it. Um, I like the effects of drugs and alcohol, man. Um, it, it was insane. Um, one time, uh, my family tried to take me to this spiritual thing where this big group and they pray for you. You know, they touch your shoulders and everything. And it's like, please, he's sick. He's sick. <laughs> Didn't work. <sighs> oh, man. Um, I tell you what, I, I failed that program so bad. I, I, I faked drug tests, I forged AA, I forged community service hours, and I had to go to court every month. And, you know, when they found out I messed up, they're like a week in jail, uh, 40, you know, 24 hours in jail, this in jail. And it's like, damn it. Jeez. I, 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 there's nothing I could do out of here, man. Um, 
Then they finally said, you need 90 days in jail, and then you need to, when you get out, go to a rehab and then go to a halfway house. Okay. You know, it, up until I got sober this time, my whole adult life, I was under the influence of something, um, you know, and couldn't main, manage, maintain a job or anything. But I'll tell you what, in an organized place like jail, rehab, or like under uh, halfway house, I could maintain sobriety. And I liked it. Uh, I really liked it. It was a good feeling. Um, so what you guys were telling me in those meetings when I was in jail and rehab kind of stuck with me. I did, you know, I admit that I was an al alcoholic, you know, that I had a problem. But when I left to my own devices, I didn't have a program. So I, I, I used, I drank again. I remember getting out of jail after 90 days and it was three in the morning and there was a car that gave us a ride and they had beer. And I was like, oh yeah, hell yeah. Um, so I drank it. Um, so, you know, I, so those were some good, you know, by, by getting placed in, in these programs, um, you know, I did get a glimpse of the program and got to scratch the surface of it. Um, but I didn't stay sober at those, at that age. I was like 24 at the time. Um, I had to do some more experimenting as they say, right? Um, I had to keep digging. Um, and so as I'm digging, um, you know, I, I did maintain like 90 days and have a sponsor and graduated, you know, I was a, uh, I was part of Sheriff Joe's chain gang. I, I was a, like the leader. I was a leader. I was the leader of my, uh, rehab. So I did very well, you know, when, when, when sober, um, I graduated Crossroads. I'm an alumni. Um, uh, so, you know, I've been to, I, and while I was drinking, I also took out a student loan and I was joking with my sponsor. I was like, well, I took out a student loan and ended up getting a degree in chemical dependency um, from all the drug classes that I took, you know. Um, I, I even tried to open up my th own three-quarter house. Uh, that was interesting. Um, but then I ended up drinking and using again, so that failed. Um, yeah, so leading up to this last... Um, sober uh, date. I was in a relationship for, for seven years, um, drank every day, and I, you know, I, I found somebody that can s sign off on my BS. Um, you know, <laughs> I lived the lie. You know how on the coin it says, to thy own self be true? I wasn't. And I found somebody who vouched for me. Because, you know, we would tell ourselves, or I would say early on, it's like, I drink because I want to drink, not because I need to drink. And then she would tell me that too. So we, we kind of fueled our fire for seven years. But, um, you know, leading to my last drink, um, that last week, um, all I wanted was that feeling of, I call it serenity now, when I was in uh, rehab and jail, like peace. Um, I just wanted to be placed in um, in one of those places, but it didn't happen. That's not what God's plan was for me. Um, 
I was living in San Diego at the time. I said, I'm going to move to Arizona. So I get my six bags of trash bags of stuff and um, I come out to Arizona and I say, I'm going to start my journey here. Um, and so my journey began and, you know, it's been such a great experience since that day. Like God has put for me on the path, everything that I've needed. I was here in Arizona for seven days for work. I got sent out to Richmond, Virginia, which I'd never been to in my, you know, never been to the East Coast, but I got sent out there on assignment and seven days sober. Um, well, let me take a step back. Um, um, day one, moving to Arizona, I knew I had a problem. I went to two meetings in one day and I said, I, I'm going to get sober. I'm going to get sober. And um, after that, I went to Fry's, bought a bottle of liquor and um, 12 pack of beer, got really drunk. And the next day I was like, oh shit, this isn't going to work. And I know how this plays out. So I don't want another seven years. I don't want to do this. So I needed to get a sponsor that they were talking about. So I got a sponsor that, that next day. And so that was, that was, that's what I needed. So I go out to move to Richmond, Virginia and start my sobriety. And, um, the way it was, it was perfect. Um, all I had to do was focus on work and going to meetings and working the program. Um, and I got to say it was a, it was a wild ride. Um, you know, in that uh, first couple of months, I was told to get service commitments. Um, you know, I started doing simple things like greeting people. I was responsible for carrying around the supplies from one meeting to another. Um, I stayed after the meetings. I went to this cool little clubhouse um, where they would meet, uh, you know, they would have, uh, they would play cards on the weekends. They would go to breakfast. Um, a couple of the guys and I would go golfing. Um, so it was great. Um, and then I would come to Arizona once a month and get my monthly chips. And I got to say that you all are a little more awake than when I would go to H and I, um, groups, I would go to Copper Springs like month one and two and share my story. And I got to say, when you're t sharing your story to a bunch of people that are detoxing, it's like you're talking to the wall. Um, and I told my sponsor that I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not getting anything out of it. I mean, they're not going to, they're not even listening to me. They're falling asleep. You know, you guys actually, you know, have your shoelaces and you don't have a, a sticker over your camera. So, you know, it's a little different. You're, you're kind of awake. Um, he said, you know, this is for you too, you know. Um, hopefully, and I look back and I hope some of the folks actually listened to, um, what I had to say from my experience, strength and hope. Um, but, um, you know, I got to do all those fun things early on. Everything, um, I finally, you know, came to believe that I could no longer do it. And that's what got me into the program and what's keeping me is, you know, all the things that, um, you know, by doing all these things early on, it's gotten me in the herd, right? As I said at the beginning, actions taken in the program. So early on, you know, um, 
did the fellowship, um, helped out others. And yeah, I made mistakes early on. I remember when I was in Richmond, um, there was a guy that was newly sober. He needed a job and I was hiring and I hired him and come to find out he relapsed and we caught him on camera. He was like so drunk. He poured tequila on the boss's laptop. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> that wasn't a smart idea. Um, but it is what it is. I, I, I learned not to do that, not to mix those, those things there. Um, as far as that goes. And, you know, then I ended up in work for work. Um, I moved out to Colorado. Um, and that was a lot of fun there too. I got to, um, start all over again from the, you know, meeting people, going to, to new meetings. I've been to like, um, some really cool meetings, at, um, Oak street, no, York street. Um, just a lot of memorable places out there. Met a lot of cool people that I still am in contact with today. Um, there's really one guy that influenced me and he would always talk about, um, how God talks to him. He got intuitive thoughts. Um, and that really, I, I really wanted to understand how that is because my perception of God, uh, was a little different growing up. It was, he was keeping score and I wasn't winning. You know, all these bad things that I was doing, you know, and all these bad things that happened to me, you know, were, were kind of playing out and, you know, they were never going to equal up. So I was never going to um, be anything in my mind. But, you know, I, I gravitated to people that like that because they were speaking something that I didn't really understand, but had a, I had belief and hope in um, and, you know, I just gravitated, like I said, towards people like that. And I continue to look for people that, um, you know, live outside themselves and have a good uh, spiritual program. Um, because, like I said, I didn't have one and mine was totally, uh, you know, now that I think back, it's my perception was bad and I needed to change that perception. I needed a psychic change, as they say. Um, and that's what I got. Um, I, I continue to, like I said, look for that through supplemental uh, materials. The big book's number one, but there's other uh, literature that I also look into that, that helps me get connected as well. Um, let's see. So other things in AA, um, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Um, how connected we are. I've been to, to meetings in, um, in like, I remember being in Ohio, I was sitting in a meeting and, uh, I had actually met this person at our su Sunday morning men's stag and I was sitting right next to him and it was like, it, it's just so coincidental. I think of it, it's God putting people in my life when I need it. Um, you know, and I've, and all these experiences have come and come. Um, I've been, uh, went, I got to go to Founders Day, so that was really fun in Akron, Ohio. Got to, to see the history of AA and be in Dr. Bob's house. Um, so that was great. I, I continue to, um, you know, seek, um, seek to help in the program. Right now I'm an intergroup rep. 
Um, I try to do service work as much as possible. When any of my friends are speaking, I, I try to go out there and support them. Um, I try to be there for be people. Um, not necessarily sponsoring anybody right now, but I, I help and um, stay in communication with newcomers. Um, you know, I, I've been the, there's been a couple experiences for me, um, you know, where I've been tempted by alcohol. Um, there was one experience, I was in Connecticut working and we went to a lavish uh, restaurant in um, Massachusetts in Springfield. And my boss at the time had some homemade Jägermeister or something and he, he put it to my mouth and said, don't, you better drink this or you're like, you're a little bitch. Um, in front of everybody, and this is a vice president of an organization. And it's just very weird. And thank God I was talking to my coworker who um, had asked me how I was doing because he knew about me moving to Arizona and my relationship. I actually work with the girl and still do. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. I thought she was going to kill me because she said she would if I ever left her. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I had actually told him, hey, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I had to leave the, my, this relationship and everything. And I told him prior to, and he was kind of my, my wingman. So it's like God working in my life because he was able to like diffuse the situation and then stop it from me just like, you know, making a scene and like, throwing this cup out of my face and stuff like that. Um, so that gave me hope that, you know, God's working in my life. I know God's been there for me. And when I say, I, I, I say God, and I hope that doesn't offend anybody because I once chaired a meeting and the topic was, how is God working in your life? And one guy's like, fuck God, fuck you. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, come to find out, like, he had not come to terms with God because... Um, you know, his daughter was killed, and um, I was like, oh, shoot, okay, higher power. Okay, so sorry about that if I offended anybody. But God, I, for me, has is, is worked in my life, and, you know, it's, I, it, it, it took that spiritual experience, um, you know, it took something outside of myself to, to um, uh, get me to believe um, Paul said I, I have the big book. Um, I, I study it because it's meant to be studied. It's not read it once because if you ask me, my sponsor said read the big book at the beginning. I'd read pages. I didn't know what I was reading. Um, so I continue to find things. Things pop out at me um, to this day. It's, it's amazing. Like, you know... Um, it's just the ABCs, how it works, all of it. Um, I go to 11-step meetings, and I get to hear things. And again, I, 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 get, I continue to learn in this program. Um, more service work that um, we do is, or I do, I go to conventions whenever I can. Um, I try to go to um, as, much, as many functions as I can and, and to be there for others. Um, they say meter, meeting makers don't make it. For me, 
at the beginning, I needed meetings because I didn't know anything else. Um, and I believe that God speaks through other people and through me. And if I go to a meeting, I have a better chance of getting connected than sitting by myself with a book. Um, so that's, that's more hope for me um, as far as that goes. Um, I got to say, you know, there's been some trouble, like I said, um, I had a, you know, traveling a lot. Uh, I think I've worked in six different states for over three or more months where I've had to live there in my sobriety. And they say, don't, you know, don't do geographics. Well, I've had to for mine. And, you know, what's kept me, you know, is the program. It's kept me, some people have told me, I don't know how you stay sober with a, you know, an open credit card and all this and, and nobody to keep you in check. Well, the program keeps me in check. My higher power keeps me in check. And the fact that we have technology, I can find a meeting anywhere is a beautiful thing. Um, now, I have chased around meetings that didn't exist in Connecticut. They don't, really don't keep their meetings up there. I'm like, okay, I'm at a church. There's no meeting. What's up? Um, but I, I keep going to the next one. Um, and I'll tell you what, I, there's been some meetings that I've been to that were only 25 minutes long and there were three people there and they were talking about the dog shitting on the lawn. And I'm like, sorry about me uh, cussing, but uh, you know, you find the one that works for you. There's a wrench for every nut, as they say. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, that's what's, what's kept me going. That's the beauty of the program. I'm, but for me, I need to, I need to stay connected and I need to connect with you all because um, it's easy for me to just, you know, go on the sidelines and then, you know, just go to the meeting one minute before it starts and one minute after. I don't, you know, I don't connect. I, I need to connect with you all on a deeper level because that's where the magic happens. Um, you know, and it's, it's sharing, it's studying uh, my interpretation of this and continuing the, the spiritual part of this. For me, uh, that's the beauty of it. It's like all inclusive. This, this highway is broad, you know, um, I think it, this is a miracle right now. This won't happen again. You know, this specific experience, I was put here to be here at this given time. You all were here. Um, you know, we're all meant to be here right now, I believe. Um, and so that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, so, you know, like I said, I've had, I was trying to talk about my crazy relationship thing by living in multiple states and managing, trying to manage multiple relationships while being sober. And it, it didn't work very well. Um, ended up getting caught. And uh, uh, I, I participated in like some rigorous physical activities such as like marathons and things like that. And um, last year when I was in Ohio, I was running a half marathon and I was at mile 10 and I was almost done with the marathon, right? Yeah. You know, and um, the girl stops me and she goes, stop right now. I'm like, hey, you're, you're waving at me. And she's like, no, I found out you have a, another girlfriend. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, so I stopped in my tracks on this race. And uh, yeah. And so I talked to, to a friend of mine and he's like, you must practice these principles in all your affairs. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, so um, that was very painful. Um, you know, and 
you hear about people talking about going, reaching to their spiritual toolkit. Well, you know, my toolkit in these situations, which is a lot different than what it used to be. Prior, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to experience, I didn't want to, you know, which ultimately didn't allow me to grow. I would reach for the bottle and, and drink. Now, like what I did in Ohio is I went to meetings. I was in Akron and in the Mecca, right? So I went to like, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and like talking to people and just sitting around and just getting you know i, I was feeling so much guilt for doing this um you know and so um so this toolkit um is an amazing thing you know i need to reach out to others um go to a meeting um uh, pray on it um uh, you know, and, and do all that. Um, that's how I deal with situations. And, um, that's my hope in this, that I can continue to do that and share that with somebody else. Um, I am the maker of my own problems, you know, as you can see, or that's a prime example of that. So, um, you know, for anybody that's new, I, I just say that, you know, I'm a prime example of, uh, you know, I can, I can vouch for the program to say that, you know, I can't do it on my own. Um, and that, you know, use technology, it, it works, you know, do group chats, do whatever it can, whatever you can to, to stay connected with people in the program. I know that was hard for me at the beginning. Um, but, um, you know, all that works. Um, I just wanted to give a, uh, bring up some, something from the big book, if I may. Uh, ta -ta -ta -ta. You know, I had to seek out God and I continue to seek God. If I don't, um, you know, I, I get what they call a wedgie. Um, so... I, I just like that we found God, that God does, uh, does, does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. The realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we be, believe, to all men. Um, you know, and so that's, that gives me hope um, in this. Um, and that's pretty much it. I would just want to close um, with the acceptance prayer because that really helped me when I was had a massive wedgie. <laughs> um, and, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober unless I accept life completely on life's terms. I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Thank you. Thank you.